good morning, guys. We're talking in this sermon series about uh, the king, uh, a gift that was given. And um, this, is, this is interesting. Every gift you give tells a story. Now, I don't know if you've got all your Christmas shopping done. Um, it's about time for me to get started, usually this week. And if you think about it, I mean, it, it's crazy, right? It's like we were, um, we were in Winston one day this week, I think it was Thursday, and you couldn't even get a parking spot in the Target parking lot, right? I mean, it was packed, and, and just seeing how crazy all the stores get and all the places are, um, but there's something special when you really take time and you think about a gift that you're going to give someone. When it's hand-picked out, it's not just something generic, when you take time and you hand-pick a gift for someone you love. Uh, it shows their value. It shows their importance. Um, and when we look at the story uh, of the first Christmas in, in Matthew chapter 2, we see the story of three wise men, or three gifts given by wise men. We talked last week. We don't know exactly how many there were. But there were three gifts given. And these gifts tell a story. They were hand-picked. They, they showed uh, the importance of who they were given to. They showed the value of who they were given to. And although Scripture doesn't specifically tell us exactly what each gift meant, I feel like when we look at what those gifts were, we can infer from that some of their significance. And that's really what we want to do this morning, and that's what we want to unpack. Um, I also want to talk, uh, we'll just jump right in before I do that. Let, let's just jump right in and look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 9 and uh, through 11. Um, it says, after this interview, you remember they had met with Herod. We talked about all this last week, so if you missed the intro, go back, check, uh, check out the video from last week. Um, it says, after this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem, went ahead of them, and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So we have three special gifts for a very special purpose. Again, we, we can infer some things and we can learn some things. And, and I'm just going to give you a warning in advance that this morning I'm going to get into some theology. It's going to be a little more academic than normal, but it's important that we grasp some of these concepts because the second gift that we're focusing on today is frankincense, which was a type of incense that was used in worship. And so we need to understand why it was used so we can understand the significance of why it was used. And so it's interesting to me how smells can trigger memories. You ever thought about this? How you smell something and it immediately takes you back to where you first smelled that. So I think at Christmas time it made me think of like maybe meals at grandparents' homes. And, and you, you, sm you can remember that, maybe that musty smelling couch, right? Uh, or that ham bacon in the oven, or the chocolate chip cookies bacon, right? There, there's those, some of those good smells that just take you back, uh, uh, you know, or maybe it's the smell of your Chris, uh, freshly cut Christmas tree taking you back to your childhood, uh, uh, some of those things like that. 
there's also smells that kind of remind you of, like to this day, I'll be honest, I cannot drink milk from a carton because of elementary school. Did any of y'all, like the milk we had in elementary school was always out of date and like awful. It was awful. Just the smell of like milk that's even close to the date, just like, I'm just like, it takes me immediately back to elementary school. Um, and so there's certain smells, they just trigger your memories. And so this gift of frankincense, frankincense was something that was not used a lot, but it was used in a very specific way. So when you would smell it, it would trigger a memory. It would point you back to worship. And we want to talk about that this morning. Uh, if you grew up in the 60s or 70s, you're probably familiar with incense. For the rest of you that missed that time, um, in, incense has a very distinct, different kinds of incense has very distinct smells, right? Um, and so you, you think about that, there, there's all these different smells. Um, I've not been around incense a whole lot, but it was interesting. When we were in Israel earlier this year, um, some of the churches use incense a lot. The churches that are run by the Orthodox Church, uh, churches like the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem, uh, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. Uh, I was very surprised, like as soon as you walked in, it was like it just got your attention. Like there was a very strong, pungent smell of uh, incense burning. And um, I've actually got a picture here uh, of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. This is in Jerusalem. Uh, it's the place where it is believed that Jesus was crucified and, and buried. And, and so a very, very, one of the most heavily, uh, I guess, visited areas in Jerusalem. You can see we were waiting in line to go up these steep steps to the upper level where the, they, they, you know, tradition tells us that's the place where the cross was, the Calvary. And so we had to wait a, a pretty good while. And when we got up to the top, there, the next picture, uh, it, it's a very unusual place. But you can see uh, the, the smell of incense was so strong here. And while we were there waiting to get to the place of, of the cross here, um, they stopped everything, made us all, like just move, pressed everybody up against the sides of the wall. And we were like, what's going on? And all these priests come in wearing their big hats and their long robes. And they're waving this thing, this, this like kettle of incense burning, right? And they start chanting, and it, it wasn't Southern Baptist. I can just tell you that. It, it's not something I've ever seen or experienced in, in the South anywhere, okay? It's not your typical Methodist service or Presbyterian or, or, or Pentecostal. This was weird. I'm just telling they were waving this thing, chanting stuff, and come to find out they're doing some type of purification cleansing ceremony for the space, uh, uh, I don't know what they're doing, but it was, it was very, very different. Um, but I, it made me realize how much uh, incense was a part of their worship. And there's, I've even got another picture. You can see this was in that, that same church. You can see how candles are burning everywhere. They're burning incense. And uh, again, just it's very multisensory. And I think we've lost some of that in our churches today. That, that's a, that seems a little strange, a little weird to us in our Western world. But, for, but to take us back to uh, the first century, when they would smell incense burning, it was part of their worship. It was part of what they did. It, was, it, it took them back to, to, re, to think about the high priest and, and what he did. And, and so I think there's some significance there. And so let's go back to the Old Testament. This morning, I, I want to talk about the theology behind forgiveness. 
It's a concept we talk about a lot in a church. What is forgiveness and why are we forgiven and how can we be forgiven? But let's go back to uh, the kind of the precursor of where we are now. Let's go back to the Old Testament and let's learn a little bit about the, the practices uh, in, in, the, in the tabernacle. Uh, frankincense was, a, they made it from the gum of trees. And these trees were found in India, they were found in Arabia. Uh, it was made from the resin in the trees. It was used in incense and perfumes. And it was something that was very costly. It, it was really almost equivalent to gold in its worth. And so this was something that was very important. Um, and, you know, it, it, was a, it was a very significant gift from the wise men because it was used for that process of worship. And it was not something for everyday use. And so, in fact, if you go back to Exodus chapter 30, you see here how serious they took this. Uh, verse 9, it says, Do not offer any unholy incense on this altar or any burnt offerings, grain offered offerings, or liquid offerings. So you start seeing they're, they're very particular in how you can use certain types of incense in certain ways. And if you skip down to verse 34, the Lord said to Moses, Gather some fragrant spices, resin droplets, mollusk shell, and galbanium, and mix these fragrant spices with pure frankincense, weighed out in equal amounts. Using the usual techniques of the incense maker, blend the spices together, sprinkle them with salt to produce a pure and a holy incense. Grind some of this mixture into a very fine powder and put it in front of the Ark of the Covenant where I meet with you in the tabernacle. You must treat this incense as most holy. All right? Never use this formula to make this incense for yourself. It is reserved for the Lord, and you must treat it as holy. Anyone who makes incense like this for personal use will be cut off from the community. Again, I mean, this is like serious. As you read through you know, Exodus and Leviticus and, and Deuteronomy, you see these rules and regulations, and they're pretty foreign to us now because we don't understand all of the, the, the worship ceremony, right? We don't understand the process behind it. And so let's talk about that this morning. And my first point, I kind of want to introduce you to what did a, what, what, why, why did priests exist? Well, priests... In the Old Testament, they were representatives of the people. That's really what their job was. The high priests in the Old Testament, they were anointed to be a representative of the people. Their job was to intercede to God on behalf of the people. And I'm telling you, I'm so thankful now that we don't have to go through a person to get to God. Right? We have direct access to God. We don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to come to, Mike, to me and say, Mike, will you, uh, you know, can you talk to God for me? And you tell him and you pray for me. Now, I'll pray for you, but you can talk to God directly too. right? And so, but at this time, the people had to go through the priest to get to God. And so in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, which uh, the whole book of Hebrews really does an incredible job explaining how Jesus is our high priest. And so I'll be going to Hebrews a lot this morning. Um, but the book of Hebrews chapter 8, it says this. Here's the main point. We now, we have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. 
And since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest, he must make an, an offering too. So, so the priests here, you see, they were representatives of the people, and they had two main responsibilities. And, and so one of their responsibilities, here's the first, they made sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. And that's the first, the, the priests, they made these sacrifices for the forgiveness of sin. And, and so the priests would take an innocent animal, uh, they would sacrifice it to represent the forgiveness of the people's sins. And so, can I just stop for a minute? And I don't know if you guys have ever thought about this, but this is weird, right? Can we be honest with each other and say some of the stuff in the Bible is weird? It's all right to say that, um, because we don't always understand what and why the reason they were doing things. But when you first, at first glance, you look at this and you say, were they, why did they kill an animal and why did they have to sprinkle its blood and why did they do this? Well, let me kind of break it down and try to explain it, try to help you gain a first century understanding of this practice. Um, and, and it goes all the way back to, to Adam and Eve when you really think about it. Because when they sinned, uh, a sacrifice had to be made. If you remember the story, God made clothes, right, out of the skin of animals. Do you realize that was the very first sacrifice in, in the Bible? That was the first sacrifice. And then the rest of the Old Testament, every book points toward a future sacrifice that will fulfill, right, that, will, that was to come, that, that of Jesus, the Messiah that would come and be the final sacrifice. And in Leviticus 17... You have this Old Testament concept that, that, that tells us why a sacrifice was required. It says, For the life of a creature is in its blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. And so the concept is, whenever uh, there is sin, uh, there must be something innocent that is sacrificed in the place of the guilty. And in the Old Testament times, this was an animal sacrifice. So how did this work? An old, you see uh, that the high priest in the Old Testament time, once a year, he would make a sacrifice uh, as a temporary payment for the sins of the people. This was on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Right? And so what he would do, he would go into the, the tabernacle. He would, well, first he would sacrifice an innocent animal. Then he would go into the tabernacle, into the Holy of Holies. The, the priest would then light frankincense. And so this, uh, the, fray, the incense would be burning and the, the, the smoke rising would represent the cries of the people reaching out to God. And then uh, he would take the blood of the innocent animal and sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And this would symbolize the death of an innocent one in the place of the guilty one. And so this was the way then that the people would uh, to make payment, so to speak, for their sin. And then the priest would do something else. He would uh, come out and he would, uh, he would pray and he would cast the sin of the people onto a goat. And then they would take this goat and symbolically chase, you know, they would symbolically do this and then chase it out into the wilderness. And this was the scapegoat. So if you've ever wondered, wondered where that term came from, it, it comes from this process. The scapegoat was chased into the wilderness and it showed that people's sins were being removed and, and cast away. And so this process then was repeated every year as, as so, sort of a temporary uh, 
process, a temporary payment to, 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 uh, for, to receive forgiveness for their sins. And so here's what we, 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 we need to understand in this. Because God is just, because He is completely just, He must punish sin. And, and we don't like to think about this because we like to think God is all warm and fuzzy and loving and, and, and He said, you know, God, God is love. Yes, He is love, but He is also just, right? And so there must be a punishment for sin. And his justice is, you know, you, you look at this, he is, he is not only just, he is merciful. So he, he also gives us a way that our sin can, uh, can be paid for. And that is the whole reason he sent Jesus. And so at Christmas, it's easy to look at the, the, the baby in a manger and to sing Christmas carols. But it also forces us to look at our own sinfulness. And so God's holiness, His justice is satisfied, and then He extends mercy to the people, and and we see this process that was repeated in Old Testament time. But then what we see in Jesus, everything changes. Hebrews 10 explains it uh, to us. It says, For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the Old Covenant... The priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. And so how are we made holy? We're made holy by the sacrifice of the body, Jesus, once and for all time. So under the old covenant, uh, in the Old Testament times, what do we see? The priest had to do this procedure, this process every time. If you ever wonder why we don't do sacrifices today, all right, we don't have to. That would be really weird, first of all. But I'm so thankful that that's not part of my job description because Jesus is taking care of it. He's already done it, and he is he he was the once for all final sacrifice that fulfilled all the requirements of. Of, 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 of the law, really, and what we see here, right? Uh, we see what the priests were doing were, were temporary, but, you know, th- that was their responsibility, to make sacrifices on behalf of the people. They also had another responsibility. Their other responsibility were, was, you know, as representatives of God, uh, representing people to God, they, they had to pray on behalf of the people to God. So that's the second thing they had to do. They had to pray on behalf of the people to God. And so you'll see examples of this throughout the Old Testament, how the priest prayed or interceded for people. And Moses in Exodus 32, he prayed that God would spare the people and not destroy them. He was interceding on their behalf. He was pleading to God, do not destroy the people, right? We see uh, 2 Chronicles is another example, right? It says the priest and the Levite stood and blessed the people, and God heard their prayer from his holy dwelling in heaven. And so under the old covenant, the old priest made sacrifices, but they also prayed. And so we see this, the requirements of, uh, of the priest... They made sacrifices for sin, and then they interceded on behalf of the people. Now, the amazing thing is, as we get to the New Testament, we learn this is what Jesus is now doing for us. 
It says in Hebrews 7, Therefore he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. I want you to think about this for a minute. Do you realize that Jesus is in heaven right now praying for you? That that almost sounds like, well, no, he doesn't really care about me or... He is praying for you right now. He is interceding for you on your behalf right now. That's his job, his role. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. Man, it's not like he created the world and and he came at Christmas and you know was born in the manger and 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 you know was crucified on the cross and then he forgot about us. He still is actively involved in our lives today. And so if you ever, if you ever feel like everyone has given up on you, here's what you need to remember. Jesus hasn't. Jesus, he is there and he is still praying for you. He is still proclaiming your innocence on all charges that are levied against you by Satan because he has already paid the debt. That's what Jesus is doing for us. He is our advocate. He is, our, he, he is there interceding for us. And, and we are secure in our salvation because of what He is doing for us right now at this moment. That, that really, uh, to me, this is amazing, right? Because He became the once and for all, the final sacrifice for our sin. And He is now praying for us. When we understand that, it creates gratitude changes our perspective. It, it, it means then that worship is so much more than just coming to church on Sunday morning. It, it's all about then how can we repay Him? How can we honor Him? How can we glorify Him? Because He's done an amazing work in us. And that kind of brings me to my next point. If we don't understand the holiness of God, we won't take sin seriously. I think this is a, a huge problem. I was listening to a sermon by Craig Rochelle this week, and he was talking about this, and it just it got me thinking, and it really made me think a lot. And, and the, 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 the thing is, right, I, I feel like in our world today, we don't like to talk about sin. We don't like to, we, we minimize sin. Um, at, at, why? Because we like uh, to do whatever we want to, whenever we want to. We like to be in control of our life. And so we rationalize sin. We don't even call it sin. We'll call it a mistake. Uh, we'll call it an accident. Uh, we'll call it a, a choice. Uh, we call it all sorts of things, right? But, but we, we kind of take sin and we turn it into, uh, we minimize it. We just say it's not that bad. It's compared to every, we do this, right? Compared to everybody else, I'm not that bad. Well, everybody else does this and so it doesn't really matter. And so we rationalize it, we explain it away, and we do this with sin. But when we start understanding the holiness of God and how holy He is, right, uh, it changes how we view sin in our life. And when you look at studies of morality in the United States, you'll see that there's not a huge difference between Christians and non-Christians. And this is why, because we don't understand God's holiness. And we've been in a struggle since since the Garden of Eden, between God's holiness and our sinfulness. We've been in a struggle with that. So uh, these two opposing forces, right? There was the holiness of God and the sinfulness of mankind. And, and they, they have been in conflict. 
And so we need to understand the reality of sin because there's the holiness of God. If we don't understand the holiness of God, we'll have this casual approach to sin. Let me, let me explain. What does it mean that God is holy? Well, if you look at the word, you unpack that word, it means to be separate or to be set apart. In other words, there's something different. I mean, there's something. If you're a holy person, it means you're a different person. You've been set apart. You're separate from the world. And so when we look at God, God is perfect in every single way. He's sinless. He is flawless. He's pure. There's no fault. There's no wrong. There's no stain. He is separate from us. God is God. We are not. I mean, right? There, there's, a, God, there's a holiness to God. And so you, you think and he's not just, holiness is not just an attribute. He's the perfect definition of holiness. So his grace is holy. His mercy is holy. Everything about him is holy. It's perfect. It's separate. And that's what makes him worthy of our praise. And so, I, again, I think a lot of people, they don't understand God's holiness because they don't understand who God is. To him, God is either this big, warm teddy bear that hugs us and, and, and tries to comfort us all the time and says, oh, it's, we think of him like a grandparent, the forgiving grandparent. Oh, it's all right. You can do whatever you want. It's all right. Right? Or you think of him as the mean old grandparent that's just, you know, ready to, to yell and fuss and cuss and strike down at you when you do something wrong. Neither is right. Right? We've got to understand his holiness. And so if God is holy, our challenge is that we're not. And none of us are even close to being where we should be. The Bible says, for all have sinned, we all fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us, we have sinned. And we are sinful. We do things that we regret. We've got things in our past that, uh, that, that we regret. You, you look at this, every single one of us, We've been separated from God because of our sin. But God loves us so much that the penalty of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. That's what Romans tells us. And so when we think about this, He loves us so much that He made a way that that sin could be removed. Just like in the Old Testament time, right, where the priests would make the sacrifice uh, and then uh, with the blood of an innocent animal, and then they would cast the, the scapegoat away. He has done the same thing for us because Jesus is now our high priest, but he is also our sacrifice. And so this is why God is holy, right? But it's also why God hates sin, because he knows the penalty that had to be paid to cancel our debt. This, this is everything about him, right? It, you, you look at sin, it's the opposite of holiness. It disrupts our intimacy. It, it messes up our intimacy with our Father. Our sin separates us from God. It breaks and messes up our life. It destroys families. That's why God hates sin, and that's why we've got to hate it as well, because we see the effects of it. First Timothy says it this way, uh, it says there's one God, one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. Remember the struggle between God's holiness and our sinfulness, right? Uh, and it's the man Christ Jesus. 
He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message that God gave to the world at just the right time. And so when you think about Christmas, this is the message for Christmas, right? That God sent Jesus to reconcile God and humanity at just the right time. That's why he came. He he came to live a perfect life. To be the sacrifice for us. And he gave his life, right, to purchase our freedom. To pay our sin debt that we could not pay. And so, when you again, it's understanding the gravity of sin. It's understanding the consequences of sin. It's understanding our sin has an incredible impact, not just on us, but on all the people around us. So how do we respond? Romans, I think, is Romans 12, 1. It tells us, here is our response. It's not to go to church more. It's not to, to go and, and give more money. Those are good things, but that's not our response. Here's our response. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. This isn't a casual response to sin. This is saying, because of everything God has done for me, I'm going to give Him my entire life. It means more than coming to church on Sunday morning. It means every single day when you walk out these doors, you're living for Him. It, it means that you're, you have a whole new approach on life. Uh, William Barclay said this. He said, here we have a most significant thing. True worship is the offering to God of our body and all that one does every day with it. Real worship is not the offering to God of a liturgy, however noble, and a ritual, however magnificent. Real worship is the offering of everyday life to Him. Not something that's transacted in a church, but something which sees the whole world as the temple of the living God. I would add to that, right? Real worship is not having a band on stage. Real worship is not having lights. Real worship is not doing a Christmas cantata. Real worship is not running a homeless shelter. Now those all are part of worship, but real worship is everyday life. Every moment, day by day, moment by moment, minute by minute, living for Him. It's taking every decision, every choice, and laying it down and honoring God with it. That's not a casual approach to sin. That's not saying, oh, I can do whatever I want to and God's going to forgive me later. That's not worship. That's selfishness is what that is, right? And it dishonors God because of what He's done for us. And so when we look at at everyday life, it's laying everything down. It's doing everything for Him. It's not Jesus you know, check off a box and let me read my Bible for a few minutes a day or go to church for a little bit. No, it's Jesus is at the center of everything you do, including Christmas, right? Jesus is the center. And that leads me, right, to this thought that I think we need to be reminded of is simply this. Our high priest, we have a high priest and he cares about us. I think some of you, you may know this intellectually, but you don't really believe it. You don't really believe it because you don't live like it. You you don't believe that that Jesus cares about you. 
He's not just this distant Savior that, that feels sorry for us. He is a high priest who understands and who, who cares. Here's what Hebrews 4 tells us. Again, so much in Hebrews about this. It says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours, he understands our weaknesses. For he has faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Now last week we talked about how Jesus is the king. And here we see that the king is approachable. Here we see that the king wants us to come to him. And not just to come to him, but to come boldly to him and let him know what we need because why? He cares. Why does he care? Because he came and lived as one of us. 100% God, 100% man. The Christmas story. And because he went through everything we did and he did not sin, he was able to become that once and for all final sacrifice for all mankind. And so, again, look at this. There, right, when we come to him, we come boldly to him, there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So I don't know what it is you're struggling with in life. And let's just be honest, the holidays can, can really be a heavy time for a lot of people. It can remind us not just of Jesus, but it can remind us of what we've lost and what we've gone through and who's not here and all those other, the stress of not having enough money and worrying about job and taxes. And there's all this stuff that distracts us and pulls us away. But God says, you come to me, you come to me boldly, and that's when you're going to find help. That's when you're going to find grace. That's when you're going to understand my holiness and you're going to see what I've done for you. And it creates in us a gratitude in the way we respond. It helps us to worship in the midst of our struggle. And so I just want to remind you of this is the gospel. This is the good news, right? That the, the most, that the, the, the God who loved us so much, he became one of us. He gave his life for us. And then Jesus died and rose again so that anyone, that includes you, that includes me, anyone who puts our faith and our trust in him, right, we will be saved. We, our sins will be forgiven. And, and we'll be, uh, it says, you know, we're now a new creation in Christ. We're, our sins have been forgiven, but now we have a new master. We have a new Lord. We have a new way of life. We have a new outlook on life. We now live with gratitude. We now lay our life down, as Romans 12, 1 says, as an act of worship. Our life is no longer about us. It's about Him. And that's when we understand that. You, you see, right? No, no longer do we have to do sacrifices to appease God because Jesus has done that for us. And that's why Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life that no one comes to the Father except through me. This is why, right? this is why Jesus is the only way you can be made right with God because he is the only one who did for us what we cannot do for our, ourselves. He died for us. That's why no one else can save us. That's why he is the perfect sacrifice, the once for all final sacrifice for all of us. He laid down his life willingly. And so that kind of brings me, again, this has kind of been a, 
a little bit more of an intellectual, analytical uh, message this morning, but it kind of brings us back to, 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 to the understanding, do we know, right, have we put our faith or in our trust, do we know that we are saved? Do we, have we proclaimed Jesus as the Lord of our life? It says in the Bible, right, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that He's the master of your life, and have we believed in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, and, you know, as the once for all final sacrifice for us, then we will be saved. And so, this Christmas, a lot of craziness, a lot of stuff going on. But I want Christmas to be that trigger that points us back to the forgiveness that we receive on the cross. It's what Jesus did. Let's just constantly go back to what he did for us. And then our response is yes to worship him and, and come to church and proclaim who he is. But it's also to leave out these doors and to live for him day by day by day. First Peter uh, 2 says this, and I don't have it up here, but it says, For you are a chosen people. You are now the royal priest, a holy nation. God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for He called you out of the darkness into His wonderful light. That's our job. That's who we are now. We're the priest of proclaiming to others, right? Interceding, you know, Christ is interceding for us, and He sent us as His ambassadors to go and reach others and tell them about the good news of Jesus to tell them how they can leave darkness and find the light. That's what we do through everything we do. And so that's our challenge today. I'm going to pray and give you an opportunity to respond, and then we're going to close out our, our service. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful just for all you've done for us. I'm so thankful for Jesus, that he loved us so much, that he went to the cross for us. I'm so thankful that you sent your son, your one and only son, your only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but you will have everlasting life. Lord, we are, we are, great, we, we are grateful. Lord, forgive us for taking sin too casually, for, for not taking sin seriously enough. Forgive us for when we have fallen short. Forgive us, Lord, for, for not confessing her sin when, and, and instead trying to rationalize it and, and explain it away. But Lord, your word, your word tells us if we confess our sin, you are faithful, you are just. You will forgive us of our sin. You will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, Lord, we want to do that today. So as every head is bowed, every eye closed in the place today, this is our chance for you to talk to God. And if there's a sin you need to confess, then right now is your opportunity. Maybe it's something you're struggling with. God's Word tells you to, to approach the throne with boldness. You, you can talk to God. You, can, you, can, you, can, you don't have to go through me. You don't have to go through another person. You can talk directly to the God who created you. And finally, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then don't wait another day. Don't put it off. Don't make excuses. Right now, right here today, would you cry out to God and confess that He is your Lord.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, for your grace, for your mercy, and for your holiness. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen.